0: Hey, everyone. I am really excited to release this special bonus episode. My last guest, John Rossi of the Rossifari podcast, had me on his show, and this is my interview with him. We chat about my history, how I discovered conservation travel, and why I launched Rewildology. When you're done listening to this week's episode, search for the Rossifari podcast wherever you enjoy podcasts and give the show a follow. John also has a super fun and thriving Instagram account documenting his zoo adventures and the animals he meets at Rosafari. Be sure to subscribe to this show and let me know what you think about this episode by DMing me on Instagram at rewildology or sending me an email at hello at rewildology.com. I'd love to connect and hear if you have a similar story. And now here is my interview with John on the Rossifari podcast. I'm
1: pretty sure I'm a lioness inside. Like, they're my spirit animal. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Rossifari. hello hello hi welcome back to the podcast that is going to help rewild your week the rasafari podcast y'all this is crazy i am releasing this episode on march 9th 2021 today is the one- year anniversary of when my world changed because of covid On March 9th, 2020, I woke up in a hotel room in Rapid City, South Dakota, having just played a show there. In the few days before that, our tour had played in Aspen, Denver, and Seattle, all cities that were hotbeds for this new thing called the coronavirus. We were told travel might be restricted soon and might not be the safest thing to do, and our leg of tour had just ended. So we hopped on our plane, said goodbye, and headed towards our homes. I noticed that my flights were significantly less packed than usual. I got home to an empty house, and even though I normally try to see Miles as soon as I get back from tour, had read enough to know that I should probably quarantine for two weeks first, which I did. My cast was all texting each other about how lucky we were that our leg of tour had just ended, and we all had time off before our next gigs, so we could just wait out this silly little disease for a few weeks before starting up again without having to lose any work. If only we knew. Now, my birthday is on March 31st, so start thinking about presents. And I do remember being bummed that I was going to be one of the people who lost a birthday to COVID. Who knew that all of you would join me in that? Or that a year later, I'd be about to lose a second one to it. But again, you can be thinking about gifts for that now. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But hey, listen, it's all good. This podcast would never have started if I didn't have that downtime to develop it. I got to do a show back in the fall when many of my fellow artists haven't been able to do any at all. I've done a ton of really cool remote recording work on the drums and learned a lot in the process. I'm certainly not happy that any of this happened, but I am incredibly grateful for the podcast, the recordings, and the people that both have brought into my life. Including all of you listening to this. Sorry, had to be cheesy, but I really do love that you're all here for this. So, why am I telling you all this? Well, frankly, because it's been on my mind a lot lately. But beyond that, it's also something that I have in common with my guest today. Brooke Mitchell Norman is a conservation biologist who got her start in zookeeping before following her passion into the conservation tourism business. She was living her dream, traveling all around, and then poof, it was all gone when COVID hit and she lost her job. Sound familiar? Well, how about this? She then decided to start, wait for it, a podcast. Oh, did I mention she also plays the drums? Like I said, Brooke and I have a lot in common, which I think makes this episode a lot of fun. Brooke is the producer and host of the Rewildology podcast, a weekly podcast focused on conservation. She brings a unique perspective to her show, one that I really appreciate. When we started talking about collaborating on some stuff, we quickly realized that our shows are really complementary, filling different niches in the same wider field. So, of course, I had to have her on the show to talk to you all about her podcast, her life as a conservation biologist, and her time spent zookeeping. Oh, and of course, a great deep dive into the conservation tourism industry. And here's the best part: when you're done with this episode, you can find Rewildology wherever you get your podcasts to not only hear more from Brooke, but also to spend some more time with your buddy John, because I'm the guest on her podcast today as well. Aren't we fancy? Before we get to the interview, don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever app you're listening on and to make sure you're following along on Facebook and Instagram at RawSafari. And of course, while you're there, make sure you're following and subscribe to Rewildology on all of those platforms. Oh, by the way, there is one or two instances of swearing on this podcast. Brooke's very naughty. I I tried to control her, y'all, but just couldn't do it. So all right, without further ado, here is my interview with Brooke Mitchell-Norman, host of the Rewildology Podcast. So why don't you start off by telling everyone uh, who you are and, and what you do?
0: Uh, yes, uh, the what you do question, man, that's not so <laughs> anymore. anymore. Um, yeah, so hi, everybody. Hi, John. Um, my name is Brooke Mitchell-Norman. Um, I'm a conservation biologist by trade and have been in the field for quite a long time now. Um. COVID kind of <laughs> wrecked my world as it did, I know you can definitely relate, John. Um, before I, before what I was doing currently, um, I was in the conservation travel industry. I worked for this really cool company called Natural Habitat Adventures, and I was very in deep on the conservation side of their work. Um, so that was what I was doing before, but I know as everybody knows, I know a lot of your listeners can relate being in the zookeeping and zoo world. Um, that we were all hit very hard and the travel industry (laughs) is non-existent right now so unfortunately (laughs) exactly they had to make a ton of cuts and my whole department was cut um so um after that I went, well, that night I drank like three glasses of wine and then I was like, okay, got to put my big girl pants on and and let's get back out there. So then after that, I I got a role at a startup actually, which is a really cool change of pace because I've never worked in the startup world before uh, for this real estate tech company um, called Pineapple Labs. And they're just really trying to be innovative and disrupt the whole real estate industry, which is really cool to be around. I've never been around people that are like my age doing awesome stuff. Um, so uh, that's my current day job. And then how you and I got connected, which is so amazing, um, is I recently launched a podcast called Rewildology. And that is all about conservation and travel and these amazing people that I've met throughout my long career and just finding ways to share their stories. So, um, that's kind of (laughs) That's where I'm at in a nutshell at this current day and time.
1: Yes, absolutely. And Rewildology is awesome. But you're lying to my audience right now. That is not how we met. That is not how we connected. (laughs) Go ahead and tell the embarrassing story about how we initially connected. You have my permission.
0: (laughs) Okay. I was going to leave that up to you on whether or not we were going to share. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is so funny, everybody. All right. So... My name is Brooke, obviously, and John apparently has a friend that also has the first name of Brooke.
1: Oh, and, and not just the first name of Brooke, Brooke Wilder. Oh, so think about your, yep, 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 yep. Yes. Because what is your Instagram handle?
0: Brooke Wilds. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, oh, John, you had no, you had no chance.
1: <laughs> no, you no, I was, no chance. I was done. I was done.
0: Yeah, you had no chance at all. Um. Uh, Yeah. And it doesn't help that like my profile picture at the time was of my wedding, which is deep in the mountains. You can't even really see my face or anything. So like you would have had no idea. Well, anyways, so my husband was incredible and surprised me with my own electric drum set. And um, even back further in my roots is I'm a drummer. Um, I was for a very long time, but I had to give it up Um, just, you know, for, for life reasons. It doesn't help as you know, playing the loudest most disruptive indi- <laughs> instrument uh, there is out there, um, so I had to give it up for a long time. But he surprised me with an electric drum set, and I was really getting back into it, uh, learning how to play again. And I posted a video of my drum set, <laughs> and John commented on it, and we started having a conversation back and forth, and um, saying that he would. Be happy to give me lessons and like asking about all this stuff and I was like oh yeah you're cool you're a really nice guy and then I was like so how long have you been playing and that's when you connected the dots that I was not your friend from exactly. before. exactly
1: <laughs> I the, the friend that I'm talking about I have worked with in theater together she has seen me play uh, you know we, we did a run of a show for like six weeks together she saw me play eight times <laughs> a week six weeks in a row she knows I'm a drummer she knows that's what I do and I was like uh, that at first I didn't connect. Even then, I was like, "What? Who cares how long I've been playing? I'm good, and you know <laughs> it. And you're a beginner. Let me help yeah. you." And then it clicked. It was like I had started to type almost uh, uh, not insulting, but you know how you are with your friends. You can be a little yeah, like, like, "Girl, what are you talking about?" And jab. then I was like, "Wait a minute, before I hit send." <laughs> and it turns out that I had just gotten up in some random woman's DMs. Whoops. <laughs>
0: And luckily it was mine because I was like not offended or or anything at all. I'm just like, oh, this is super cool. Yeah, like let's interact. Let's talk about drums. I haven't been able to talk about music or playing in so many years. And, um, but yeah, no, that was so funny. And then when I reached back out, so, you know, Rewatology, I launched it and everything and then reconnected with John. And that is how I reintroduced myself.
1: (laughs) absolutely
0: I was like okay so John so do you remember that one time that you randomly reached out to this girl named Brooke about drumming well that's me and I just launched a podcast and you're like shut up
1: oh no 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 so so it was even better than that because you started off all professional hey John <laughs> I'm Brooke I'm starting this podcast I would love to talk to you I see that you've had some success with Safari. I'd love to you know really building it up And then once we started talking and you were like, by the way, remember that girl that you totally embarrassed yourself with? It's me. (laughs) And I was like, boom, right from the top of like, oh, man, this is so cool. This person like respects what I do and likes me and wants to learn from me to like crashing hard. Like, oh, no, wait, she already knows you're an idiot. (laughs)
0: No, no, it was all connected. No, none of that was fake or anything. It was. oh Yeah. But I just like I just. I was oh yeah I had to like connect the dots it's so just like so by the way super funny
1: <laughs> yeah such an amazing moment <laughs> oh, oh man no. yes yes and I promise y'all if I get up in your DMs to talk about drumming I am just looking to talk about drumming I like drumming <laughs> <laughs> but anyway enough about how we met let's uh, let's talk about you a little bit let's introduce you to my audience so um Tell, tell me about your history. How did you get started in the field and, and what was your education like?
0: Yeah. Um, so from pretty much day one, I knew that I needed to be in the wildlife field in some way, shape or form. And I was raised in a very small town. I don't even have a town. It was one of those where <laughs> like my telephone line at home was in one jurisdiction and like my address was in another jurisdiction like no one even know who to claim us we were so <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere so that means I wasn't exposed to much in, in the way of like the conservation world when I was young just by default all, all I knew was like whatever was on the Discovery Channel and you know seeing BBC documentaries so from a very young age, I thought that the only way that I could help wildlife was becoming a veterinarian. And I know a lot of people have this exact same story. It's just growing up. You just don't know, and you just don't know anything else. So I was gung ho on the veterinary path. You were not going to ask me otherwise. I was like, this is the only thing I'm going to do. So I Went to school um, to become a zoological veterinarian. Um, my undergrad was in zoology, and I was also doing pre-vet recs at the exact same time. Uh, you know, doing all the things you're supposed to do. Became a vet assistant. You know, worked here, interned there, all the things to become a vet. Um, and then I started to have some realization moments. So at the time, I, I went to Ohio State, and that you know, getting out of my small town bubble it was the biggest culture shock of my life. I've been all over the world. And still to this day, moving out of my hometown into a big city was the biggest culture shock of my life, which I'm most grateful for. Um, and <laughs> so I started to have this, I guess you could call it almost like a come to Jesus moment. Um, at the end of my junior year at Ohio State, I was driving home. I had this really, really bad day at the vet office I was working at. And I was just like, ah, I don't know if this is for me and I started to get super scared that I was having this deep feeling those thoughts because I was on this one path for so long I already applied to vet school I had interviews coming up to get into vet school at a couple months from that time and so I was getting scared that I was doubting my entire life path um and so then I just I I just kept going on and exploring more and more, and it also made some other big life changes that year too. So I played. um So I was on the drum line at Ohio State all the way up through my junior year, and then I made this big life change. My senior year, I stopped my musical career. Um, I and then I got a job at the zoo, the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, and that was the first time in my life that I could use my personality for. The betterment of wildlife. And I didn't know that that was possible. Like I didn't know that that was that that even existed somewhere in the world. Um, and I also had some other jobs that I ended up getting at the exact same time that was more personality based and and it's just like awakened something in me. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these amazing things that you can do in the zoo world. Like I was in guest engagement and um ended up interning, you know, in different areas around the zoo. And I was like, okay, this is my path. I am doing this. So, um, in the final, like nail in the coffin, is I did interview for vet school, and I happened to be partnered with the worst interviewees, like interviewers that I could have ever been partnered oh, with. No. Um, and so, I mean, our personalities were the furthest thing away from each other that you can possibly imagine. So I pretty much went out of the interview room kicking and screaming like nope this, that's it I've made the right decision and I even like call my dad afterwards like my dad he's just like a man of few words but he's like a wise man he's like yeah I don't see you sticking a needle in a tiger's butt so <laughs> <laughs> he's like yeah I, I've been waiting for you to come to this realization it's <laughs> pretty much what he meant by that um so then I was kind of lost after that so I was I graduated with you know really high GPA, you know, crushed it in school. I killed myself because I thought I was going to go to bed school. So I had this beautiful zoology degree and didn't know what to do after that. So, uh, you know, working at the Columbus Zoo, everybody is well aware of how big of a zoo that is and how hard it is to get in full time. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Like, I did all these internships. I worked in all these different departments, you know, just, just making friends everywhere I went to try to really get my foot in the door. And I mean, my, luckily my friends at the zoo were very honest. They're like, Brooke, if you want, if you want to stay here, you're going to have to put in 10 to 15 years before you're going to get like a full-time zookeeping job. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, so I have student loans like that are going into repayment in like four months. And I have a lot of student loan debt. So I I had to do something. So I was still figuring out exactly what to do at this time. And then that is when I found um, my incredible master's program that I graduated from that I know your listeners are well aware of because I'm sure a lot of them went through it as well, or at least heard of it. So I did the Global Field Program through Miami University. And I know a lot of people that are in the zoo world are doing the AIP, the Advanced Inquiry Program. And I absolutely freaking loved it. I had so much fun in that. And that is how I got exposed to conservation travel. So, you know, I went to the zoo world. I was still in the zoo world for a long time. After that, I even moved to Dallas and I worked at the Dallas zoo. Um, And then that is when I kind of, I just, there was just something else in me. I didn't feel like I was giving enough. Like I when you study how imperiled the, the wildlife is around the world and you don't feel internally like you're doing enough right, then right. it almost hurts your soul you know what i mean um and so i was doing all these great projects through um my master's program and that is when i decided to make a switch i was like i need to get in conservation travel i need to help make this wildlife alive and thriving and worth something than dead and degraded just because there is no value put on them so, you know, went through my master's program, I traveled, uh, to some pretty amazing programs. I mean, like destinations around the world through the earth expeditions. And I focused most of my projects on conservation travel specifically it, in relation to big cats. And so I, then luckily I moved to Colorado also in all of this, <laughs> I know there's a lot of things that happen all this exact same time. <laughs> so I moved to Colorado And got uh, really connected with some mentors of mine here that I absolutely love them to death. And they helped get me into the conservation travel world. And um, I worked for this company, Natural Habitat Adventures. That's what I got into. I applied three times, by the way, everybody. So just take note of that. (laughs) Like if there's an organization that you really want to work for, don't give up until they literally tell you. I'm sorry, we are never going to hire you ever because I didn't give up. I applied to three different roles and on the third one, I finally got in. Um, And then I grew from there. I really grew in the organization. I started from the the very, very, very bottom um, and worked my way up to the point where, you know, I was like, had some like, whatever. It doesn't matter what my roles are. It doesn't matter at all. Um, But, you know, I was pretty established at the company and yeah, yeah went around the world saw a whole bunch of wildlife um yeah i think well in like 2019 i even went to like you know five african countries in like one trip you know nice. it was incredible so um Yeah. And then also what was really cool there, that was a a kind of another foundation for the podcast, rewildology is every single month I hosted these conservation coffee talks. So I would have somebody come in from the conservation community or someone internally within the company that was really interested in something. And we would have pretty much a, a coffee date in the lobby, you know, just shared space area. And everyone told me that it was like their favorite thing. Like every single month they looked forward to the conservation coffee talk. And I really missed that when I lost my job. So um, pretty much my new podcast is almost like a version of that, just... (laughs)
1: Right. No, definitely. In
0: virtual form. <laughs>
1: that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's I mean, like I've often said, I, I like talking to uh, keepers as I travel all around the country and I don't get to do that anymore. So so now I, I get to do that on Ross yeah. <laughs> Apart. Same thing. It's like, oh hey, if, if I like this, then maybe other people will like this. And yeah, mm-hmm.
0: exactly.
1: Very exactly. cool. So that was a that was uh that was a heck of a journey that you've been on. Um, yeah. I, I want to dissect a little bit of it a little bit more, though. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. So let's rewind all the way back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's your junior year at The Ohio State University. The. And thank the, you. The, obviously. And... um <laughs> Man, I can't even imagine transitioning out of out of uh, small town to Columbus because while Columbus is not the biggest city by any stretch, it is one of the wildest cities I have spent time in. I go to the Columbus Zoo a lot, and that place is always hopping. Uh, OSU is crazy. Um, it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. It's it's big. It's lines out every restaurant and every bar door all night it's yeah no it's it's a party town it's it's a fun place um and uh so you so you find yourself there you find yourself into a drum line which i know can be very much um i don't want to use the word cultish but it can become your whole world let's just put it that way yes it's, it's a
0: lot. i agree
1: <laughs> i mean i have i have been there and um and then you suddenly decide to bail on all of that and take a job at Columbus that you really didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. How, how? How did that happen? What was going through your mind? How did you find the job? Like, talk me through that period of your life. Because as a musician, I cannot picture ever just being like, oh, yeah, I'm done with this now. Like, that just blows my mind.
0: Yeah. And and it was a major life decision at that time. Uh, the biggest... The biggest reason is so school was my number one priority. And as you know, being on a drum line, I mean, the number of hours it requires above and beyond the call of duty to be on a drum line is, is amazing. I mean, it really is. Yes. You have like your whole tribe that you build around your drum line, but just the extra additional practices, learning cadences. I mean, there's, there's so much more that goes into it. And, um, there was only 24 hours in a day right i'm i mean i couldn't i couldn't physically like i couldn't do that and also another big thing that happened um so when i was at ohio state they transitioned from quarters to semesters so the like i the entire like um like academic credits system got completely thrown upside down. And so if I was to graduate on time, I had to follow a insanely strict, very rigorous class load to make sure that I wasn't uh, postponed, which a lot of people did. I think my graduating class was like the second biggest ever in Ohio State history. It was like 10,500 or so. It was something insane. But it was because everybody that got screwed from the quarter to semester transition and had to stay another year. Um, So... It was a it was a really big and heartbreaking decision, um, but I knew that I needed to pursue something else. I knew that I had to go down a different path if I was to find what was next. Um, and and again, I just had so much fun at the zoo. I had so much fun. Um, and so all of these decisions kind of happened at the exact same time. I got hired at the zoo, um, I got into the blue jackets. And once I started to realize the amount of time that was going to take with a full, like a full-time student um, bandwidth, I was like, I'm, not, I'm just not gonna be able to do all of these. So it was, it was, it was like, what's gonna like, put me further in my path. And so I had to cross things off accordingly. So if I could have done all of the above, oh my God, without a question, <laughs> I, because the the amount of, of the, how much I've missed playing since like to have had another year would have just been, you know, just so meaningful to my heart. But the beautiful thing about being a musician is you can always start back up and and like, you know, like a professional athlete or something where you, there's a timeline, you know, (laughs) to to when your hobby or your love can stop. Um, but I mean, I'm not near as good of where I was like my paradiddles freaking suck in comparison to what they used (laughs) to do, but at least I still can play and, you know, play easy songs. And just when I'm feeling super stressed, just get on the set now, which is super rewarding. So, um, yeah. That's was, cool.
1: So so tell me about this job at Columbus. What exactly was the position?
0: Yeah. So I was hired on the guest relations and guest engagement. So um my my time was split for both of those. So I mean everything that was human facing essentially. So I um, you know, did the parking booth and the you scan the tickets inside. Um, I even I eventually became a team lead. So, you know, it was helping like manage the team and scheduling and all that kind of stuff. And I got really, really, really close with um pretty much all of my coworkers that I was around. Um, and then my other time was spent in guest engagement and that was where I really flourished. Um, and oh my God, it's so much fun. It's because it was a relatively new program. This like idea of like a guest engagement where you're only The only reason you exist is just to make people's days better around the zoo. Right. And oh my God, I had so much fun. Like I was that type where I was like, it it became almost like, I don't know, like a competition with myself to see how long I could get someone to talk to me and how many different types of people, um, like just, just anybody, just anybody in the zoo. I got to the point where I could sit down and have a conversation with any person In the zoo. And I'm so grateful to have that skill now. It's definitely like, um, been a major benefit
1: (laughs) in my
0: life. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what, that that's mostly what I did. I did that the entire time that I was there. I was in guest relations and guest engagement the whole time. Um, and then I also did other things. I got into the education department and did a lot, a lot of interpretive stuff around the zoo. Um, I interned at the Asia Quest, speaking of your red pandas. Nice, and, nice. Yep. Yeah. So, I entered in that region and had an unbelievable time. There's like so many stories that I definitely cannot tell in a <laughs> public setting just because of how rotten we were and just how much fun we had. We had so much fun. Um, yeah, so those were the highlights. I'm pretty sure that's all I did. Nice.
1: Yeah. Do you remember yeah, who your good. pandas were in Asia Quest back then?
0: I don't remember. Okay. Um, it, I think you've posted some recently because, well, at that time, um, I'm pretty sure a lot of them have moved on to different places. Right, right. And there were some really cute cubs at the time that were so little and <laughs> um, um. But yeah, so.
1: I was just wondering because yeah. I know they have an old man there named Zhang who's been there forever. He's not yeah. an exhibit panda, but he's been there forever. And uh, this is these are his paws. Mm-hmm. Mm. i love Zhang. he's 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 my, my my special boy he's like 18 years old now so that's insane for a panda so
0: yes Oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're so well taken care of there. Oh, I yeah, mean, they're of course. Of course. they're so spoiled and like all the good ways. It's like I'm like you have a better life than me. Like I'm just <laughs> interning. I'm not like, getting paid for this. And uh, look at <laughs> look at your amazing life. No, they're so well taken care of there. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: Columbus is. I mean, Columbus is amazing. I love mm-hmm. I love all zoos, but Columbus is is possibly my yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite places in the world. Not you know, Not yeah. even just the zoo. Just just. The Columbus Zoo is one of my favorite places in the world, period.
0: I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It's a, it's one of those that if anyone listening hasn't gone, if, there, if you ever find yourself in Ohio, try to find a way to get to the Columbus Zoo I mean, it is huge. I mean, it and San Diego go back and forth of like who's number one in the in the country, and um, it really is. It's just an experience. It's 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 incredible. like a destination
1: thing too. Like yeah. if you, it is worth the travel to get there to spend mm-hmm. a couple of days at that zoo. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: No, yeah i mean it would now. take you days like if you actually did it the right way where you went to every single exhibit you read every single sign you did every single interaction you even went to you know jungle jack landing and wrote all the rides it would literally take you days and if you're there in the summertime you go to Zumbezi bay and you can like ride down water slides it's crazy
1: <laughs> i always i always i always feel like okay so when i'm there in the summer i always feel like mildly annoyed at the people that are at uh zumbizi bay Like, I get it. I get it that not everyone is as into animals as we are. But, dude, you're at the Columbus Zoo and you're more interested in being on a water slide than looking at polar bears. Come on. Like, I'll see families over there, and I'm like, what is wrong with all of you?
0: Yes. And we would deal with that as well, like, being in guest relations, because you can drink over there if you're 21 or over, and so it would be so many times. It would be towards the end of the day, and there's just drunk people, like, half-clothed and maybe a bathing (laughs) suit cover, like, coming into the zoo, and we're just like, oh, okay.
1: (laughs) I want to see your manatees.
0: Exactly. It's like, okay you're in the family friendly side so like go get clothes on and you can't bring your beer with you (laughs) things we had to deal with
1: that's awesome (laughs) yeah we all know humans are the craziest animals that you have to deal with at any zoo so yes
0: (laughs) hands down by far yes
1: that's awesome um and then so you said that after that you went to dallas for a bit right yes what Mm -hmm. did you do at the dallas zoo i love that zoo
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, I did too. Um, so it was my first full-time zookeeping job, you know, like I made it, I made it. Uh, yeah. So I was in the children's zoo area. So I was a full-time keeper at the children's zoo. it's just so funny looking back now. I like, I thought I, I freaking made it. I was full-time with benefits, making $12 an hour. I'm just like, this is the highest salary I've ever had. I'm making $12 an hour. Um, so Yeah. So that's what I did there. So worked in the children's zoo. I wasn't there for that long. Um, so about three and a half, four months. Um, because right around that time, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, um, was got a job opportunity in Colorado. So we had like this big, like life decision of like, what do we do? Do we stay here? I've only been in this job for like three months, you know, but then we ended up just going for it. and, And in two weeks, I went from being a full-time zookeeper in Texas to Colorado, I was in Denver. I'd never even been there before. Um, So yeah, so that was a big life transition as well. Yeah, so I was a full-time zookeeper in in the children's zoo area.
1: Very cool. Do you think that that uh, had any influence on your your time in conservation travel then?
0: Yes. So while I absolutely loved, like I finally got that full-time zookeeping job I was in the area where it was mostly just like domestic animals pretty much. And I, that's, that's when the big hole started. You know what I mean? Like that was when the big hole started where like, I didn't feel like I was doing enough. Um, And also at the same time I was starting to work on my master's. So this was 2015. So that is when I started my master's program. And the more and more research I was doing, I think at the time, I was doing this insanely depressing project talking about um, where I mapped the locations of where the big cats in captivity, private captivity came from, um, that were being housed at these sanctuaries in Texas and like their stories behind it. So I'm like doing this project and then I'm like working at the zoo where I'm just like working with domestic animals or you know, just um, and like ambassador type animals. And again, absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just deep in my heart. I was like, something's missing. Like I'm not doing enough. Like I'm reading about all of this stuff and I'm not doing anything to help solve it. And at that time I took my first international trip. I mean, it was just to Mexico, but for someone who never had a passport, that was a big deal.
1: <laughs> and
0: I snorkeled for my first time with a whale shark. So it was my first time snorkeling. And it was with whale sharks. That's so
1: one
0: of like the, the crazy time in my life, um, but yeah. So it was. I left the Dell Zoo, and also at the same time, to be one hundred percent honest, twelve dollars an hour barely is rent and food, and I had these massive student loans payments that were coming down the pipeline, and like I could barely make them. You know, it was it was incredibly depressing, and stressful and I'm like, okay, I can't afford to make my payments and um I don't feel fulfilled. So what am I going to do? And so when we left Texas and moved to Colorado, that's when I decided to make a career change of some sort. I didn't know about conservation travel yet. That was more of just this, you know, you know, it's almost like seeing like, you know, Anthony Bourdain or some amazing person on a travel show. You're like, I will never get to that. It just wasn't even like reality at all. Yeah. And so I ended up, um, but I I didn't know what to do. So I stayed in the nonprofit world and I worked at the children's um, museum as a guest, uh, guest relations manager, guest services manager. So I ran the whole front essentially. Um, So that's what I did in the interim while working on my master's. And then I was there for about a year, a little over a year. And that is when I finally got the job in conservation travel. So I did have this blip of time when I was like, I just need to make make the uh, my bills and my payments and stuff. Um, but I mean, I met some amazing people along the way. So it wasn't a waste by any means of time. Um, but then, yeah, that's when I finally got into conservation travel. And at that time, I had already been on another Earth Expeditions with my global field program. And I was geared to go on to another one, so I had more, you know, international experience under my belt. I had been studying conservation methods um, for a while at that point, so that was when the big, like, life transition happened out of zoos into another field that I felt was making a really big impact on wildlife.
1: That's really awesome. Where, uh, where were your two locations that you traveled to for uh, the global field program?
0: Yeah, so I traveled to Baja, Mexico um, for the desert ecology and whale shark research in the uh, um, yeah, in the Cortez area, and then I went to Namibia with uh, Cheetah Conservation Fund, so nice. I, I, ended up, I ended up doing a lot of work with them through, like, through my master's and stuff and helped found a Rocky Mountain chapter of the CCF out here, um, oh, cool. which is really cool. I didn't even I, realize um, that
1: there were uh, native cheetahs to the Rocky Mountains. I didn't uh,
0: learn no, something right? every day <laughs> Right, I know, I know, (laughs) I know. So funny. Um, And then I also went to India. So um, that was yeah, that was that was awesome. So those are the three Earth expeditions that I took during my masters.
1: Okay, very cool. And so you know, let's let's talk about this conservation travel industry. Are you planning on going back into it once uh, you know COVID ends and we have a world again?
0: Absolutely. Um, Okay. Cool. And hopefully on my own terms. Hopefully. So another, another reason why Rewildology exists is I have been in so many incredible places around the world and have met amazing people that are doing unbelievable things and nobody knows who they are or what they're doing or their story. And there's like so many times I've been around a campfire or like, you know, dinner at night meeting somebody and I have a drink in hand and they are telling me the most amazing inspirational crazy story I've ever heard in my life and I'm thinking why the heck does nobody know about who you are or the work you're doing this has happened so many times that I'm like this is not a coincidence so my hope and my goal is to well I'm figuring all of this out I have no idea at this time what it'll be but finding a way to travel with the intention of recording these people's stories like going on the ground to these conservation organizations that are doing the work um in the countries and telling their story um so yes and if that means i need to get a travel like a paid travel job in the meantime then absolutely i'm I'm happy to yeah while i figure stuff out
1: that's actually really fascinating to me sharing the stories of people that um aren't as well known is, is a big passion of mine. I mean, that's why I try to talk to so many like keepers and not just PR people at every zoo or whatever. Um, ironically, and I I think this kind of speaks to how I've stumbled on the right mission for Ross Safari. Um, my podcast episodes with people that would be considered more famous or more well-known in the general conservation field. I've had a few now and, um, they are my least, downloaded my least commented on, my least liked. It is the person who you've never heard wow. of, who it's their first podcast or maybe they've done a few like digital keeper chats now. People are definitely getting a little more experience, you know. Um those are the ones where like the first day I have tons of people reaching out and telling me they're amazing and the person gets, you know, a couple hundred followers from it and you know, the ones where I every time I've set one of these these up with more well-known people I'm like this is it this is going to push my numbers it never has but when that's it's some amazing. some random person who's got amazing stories and an amazing heart and just hasn't had a chance to share it people eat it up and share it and talk about it and suddenly my numbers go flying up and I'm like oh there you go there you go
0: That's awesome it's, but that's exactly it like like now that you're in in, in the world like it's just it's just because this field is all based on heart and intention and to be around so many inspiring passionate people it just really does something to you and we all have our strengths and so just all playing on our strengths like you and i we love talking to people we love like tell me your story i would i will sit down with you for hours and just tell me everything and then you know the person we're talking to they they're really good scientists and they know the science and and they know the behaviors of these animals, like the back of their hand, they know exactly what's going on in these places and the issues and the conflict they're trying to find some sort of resolution for. And then, so using all of our strengths to get to the same mission, which is protecting these wildlife, keeping them going, um, giving the people on the ground, the funding, the support, whatever it is that they need to make sure that these animals and, and not just animals, like these wild areas, uh, protected and thriving. Um, yeah, it's, it's so rewarding. It's Absolutely. So rewarding. It's so
1: cool bringing these stories to the front. I love it. Um, so when it comes to conservation travel, you know I, I have people who listen who who might not know exactly what you're talking about there, and I know that there is a lot of controversy about certain aspects of travel in the animal world. And I mean, you could even go into big game hunting and stuff like that, which obviously is not something you're talking about here. But so, do me a favor and just really lay out for people what you're talking about when you talk about conservation travel.
0: Yes, and I completely agree when travel is not done correct it is insanely destructive in so many different ways but when it is done ethically and sustainably it is one of the most powerful conservation tools there is on the planet hands down especially when it's with you know tagged along with some other of the big conservation tools there are and the big reason why is the one that i've already mentioned is it places a value on a dollar amount on the wildlife that is in that area that you are going to go see. Because no matter how much we wish the world ran on goodwill and butterfly feelies, that is not at all how the world works. It works on economy, it works on money. And if that rhino is worth more dead and degraded than alive and thriving, it will die. There is, there's no ifs ands or buts. It will be killed, and so that is the biggest. That's the biggest motivation of why it is so important to keep tourism alive. I mean, it is one of the biggest um, um, industries there are in the world. It's, um, I think it's like one in ten people. I don't know. It's like some crazy stuff. I'd have to look it up of how many people are employed in tourism around the world, how many jobs it helps supports, how many people that are related to those people that are in tourism, how many that it support. So it is very, very powerful. And if there is like, you know, like I say a national park that has, um, its goal is there's some beautiful wildlife in there like the Serengeti or something like that. Actually a Serengeti is a perfect example. If there were not tourists that came to the Serengeti, there is no way it would still exist. There is no way it would still exist. All of that amazing wildlife, it would be gone because there would be no incentive to keep it protected. Especially when you start to go to these places and you start to see the conflict that is real. Because I used to have this misconception of like, who the heck are you to shoot a lion? Why in the world would you want to kill an elephant? Like what in your right mind would make you want to kill an elephant? And then you start to actually do the research and studying human wildlife conflict. And then you go to these places and it's like, um, I know why I've never had an elephant in my backyard. I don't know what it's (laughs) like. I don't know what it's like to have a herd come through when I'm barely making it, you know, cause the, you know, the, populations are high, you know, the cost of living, like you're just not making any money. Um, so it's a very, very hard life. And the difference of, let's say a lion or a hyena killing ahead of your livestock could mean the difference in whether or not you feed your kids. So what incentive does anybody have to keep the animals alive if it could possibly ruin their life? So That is the power of conservation travel because it gives local communities, it gives different areas, a source of income that places direct value on that wildlife. So if that lion brings that community more money by it being alive, beautiful thriving he's gorgeous he you know roars all the time and they're like yeah that is our freaking lion and he's going to bring us so much money because all these tourists from around the world they want to see the lions and hopefully in the they'll also buy our handicrafts um you know they'll, they'll interact with our community um so that is the big power of it um now when it's not done right that is when we get some major issues um so i'm it's just kind of standard across the world. There are a lot of corrupt governments where maybe they're all these tourists are coming into the area, but they're keeping all the money. It's not being trickled down in any way. So the people that are just dealing with the wildlife and all of its consequences aren't getting any of the benefits of living with those um, protected animals. So then, like they're caught in like the worst possible situation. They're not getting any of the benefits of living around this wildlife, but they're getting all of the bad stuff because whatever it might be it might be a tiger in the area that you know loves to kill livestock or even worse you know there are human eating and human you know killing tigers like those do exist um so in areas like that with like the local people aren't being properly compensated or brought into the tourism conversation then that is when we start to get a lot of problems um and of course there i mean there's no way to not have any impact you know, um, hopefully if anybody's traveling with a company, hopefully they're carbon neutral. And what that means is, you know, they pay enough credits to offset whatever your trip costs. So like, that was a really big thing at like my former company, NatHab they were the first carbon neutral travel company in the world. Um, and we did a whole bunch of stuff to really keep that going and just set a standard in the industry for what it means to con- be a conservation travel company. Um, so that's the big power of it. It places a value on the wildlife and the land that they're on in these amazing areas around the world, because otherwise there's no reason to keep them alive.
1: Makes sense. And uh, yeah, that's that's really important. Um, So I'm I'm curious, where is the coolest place that you've gone or what's your what's your favorite memory from a uh, your conservation travel years you can name more than one. It doesn't just have to be one. I can I, see that you're struggling.
0: I love though. Can I just say something real fast that yeah. I love that this is a problem of mine now <laughs> because to come from someone to be, to grow up where I barely even left my hometown mm-hmm. to become be, to be to the point now where I'm in double digits countries that I've traveled to in the wildlife that I've seen, like, if I would have told myself at 18 that this is like where I would be now, I don't I wouldn't even believe myself, you know. Oh, no
1: doubt, no doubt. I have um I mean touring has been, you know, the way that I've done that, but I have played every state in the country except for Alaska and Hawaii, and I have played, oh, I don't know, one two maybe a dozen 14 uh foreign countries as well. And um it changes your perspective. It changes. Just you'll have a conversation with someone, and they're like, "Well, nobody's like this, or no one's like that." And I'm like, "I'm you, like, you've never left your, you've never <laughs> left your hometown, have you? Because literally, like three states down, not even talking <laughs> Europe, like three states down from Pennsylvania, you're gonna find an entirely different world. Or or exactly. or in the city, if you drive two hours away from this town into a city, you are going to find an entirely different world." then you know exists and yeah I'm I'm such a huge fan of travel and I think it's it's so important um and yeah we're both very lucky to have done that you know all over the country and and the world
0: yeah so I think I have two stories one okay. isn't that it isn't that like whatever it just it meant so much to me it was um I was in India and so big cats are my thing um that is what I dedicated all of my master's research to and like they're my main like life, whatever, whatever you want to call it, my spirit animal. I'm pretty sure I'm a lioness inside. Like they're my spirit animal. Um, But I was in India and I saw my first wild tiger and I almost broke down into literal tears because it was the most moving moment of my life at that time. Um, He was young. I mean, he was an adolescent. He just eaten. His belly was super, super full. Um, And we were ironically at this um, spot called the Tiger Hole, aptly (laughs) named. Yeah, it was just this little pond that was his. And we were with him for 45 minutes. We just, he, like I said, he just eaten. So he didn't give two shits about anything. He just was like, I'm a cat and I'm full and I'm just gonna roll around and be awesome (laughs) and take pictures for you all. So yeah, we were there for like 45 minutes. It was like our first safari, um, in, um, where was I, uh, Niagara holiday national park. I mean like the tiger reserve. So that's where I was, saw it there. Um, and it was just like that validated my life. Like that validated all of my work all of my graduate research, everything is like, I finally saw a wild tiger. Um, I have so many pictures. It's ridiculous. The number of pictures I took and then probably my second one. Um, so if you can't tell, I love predators. And so this one was with wild dogs. Nice. I was in Botswana. I was with in Botswana in the Lenyanti reserve, um, which is just right outside of, so if you think of Chobe National Park, so it's it's, a, it's around the area, so a very similar ecosystem to that. And wild dogs, this is like the one of the areas that they thrive. And so I was at this very small camp, this very small exclusive camp, um, and um, the rangers, or like, you know, our guides got a, a tip off of where the wild dog pack was. So we went out. It was a very warm day. It was, this, it was their summertime. So it, it was hot as balls. Well. It was so hot. <laughs> and so we finally found the dogs and it was just me and my guide. That was it. It was just us. So we found the dogs. We drove up, uh, up to them just to hang out, you know, um, and they were all laying around and there was 14 puppies. So there was, <laughs> yes. So there was puppies there was puppies. So it's 14 puppies. Um, and then there was also some adults, and they were just all hot and laying around and panting, but I'm still like freaking out. I have so many videos of all these puppies that are just laying around being cute. And then the adults come back. And I'm sure that anybody has seen wild dogs on a documentary, they always um like interact, so they like touch each other's mouths, they make cries and stuff. So that's called the greeting. And when that happens, some cool shit is about to go down. <laughs> so, um, so when they did the greeting and, and, you know, like the matriarch, she was, you know, and, you know, she still had um, like, you know, like her breasts were still full. because She was still nursing the puppies and everything. So she like interacted with the puppies for a while. And then out of nowhere, they were off the whole pack. They were off. It was time to hunt. So, We followed them. So we stayed, so it was us and one other vehicle. So there was one, only one other guy that, um, that was part of the camp that I stayed at. So it was me and one other vehicle, which is the exact opposite of what you think about like the Serengeti and the reason why Botswana is so amazing. If you haven't been to Botswana, you have to go to Botswana. Um, so we, we were off, we were off. So we followed them. Um, the original truck, they followed the adults who started, um, started on their hunt. We followed the puppies. So we were behind the puppies um, for the whole time. Um, And then while the other safari vehicle was following the adults. And then after a while, there was like not much action or anything. So then we found, we were radioing with the other guide and we found the adults and, Holy crap. Some of the, like the craziest things I've ever seen in my life is so dogs, they, they didn't stop until they took something down. So we probably were in a part of around four hunts. So, you know, they would go after this animal, it would run away or they would accidentally not communicate correctly and it would get away. And so then they would regroup and chase after something else. Um, like half the pack went it back into the wooded forest area. So the other safari vehicle chased, like followed that pack. We stayed with like the matriarch and the other side. And so it was like two and a half hours of straight adrenaline being like in this um, wild dog pack hunt. And then officially right before dusk, um, they did take something down. And so we, you know, like ran, <laughs> rolled across because, you know, it's not like they follow paths or anything. They're right, right. like, taking down something. So you know we're like just hopping through all of the um, forest areas. We finally find them, and like the funniest thing too is since the guides know the wildlife so well in the area, they knew that, <laughs> they knew the antelope that it took down. <laughs> They're like, yeah, oh, because he was missing a horn, so he was like very. I was an impala, so it was like very obvious of like what was taken down, and like they knew who it was. So like that was the funny part about it, and then. Once they had eaten a lot of their share, um, a couple of the adults ran back into right to the, where the wooded um, area was and brought the puppies. So then all the puppies got to come, and we were just right there. And it was just me and one other safari vehicle with two guests from the lodge. Like, that was it. Amazing. And we got to watch this whole – it was un believable it was one of the coolest things i've ever seen in my life (laughs) that
1: is awesome ah i love that that is just so
0: cool yeah
1: um you know but that does it does make me uh think of an interesting question for you here gonna gonna be a little less fun for a minute but i would love your take on this um you know, I, I agree with everything you're saying about conservation travel. I think it's incredibly important. I think it's it's important for the people of the countries. Like you said, I think it's important for the people that go there. It can, can create conservationists and stuff yo, that is expensive. So like, what do you think can be done to get, you know, disadvantaged people or even just like, oh, I don't know, broke ass musicians um, to go out and have these experiences? Because otherwise, isn't it just rich people getting to have this cool experience?
0: Yeah. And there is a huge economic... I don't know. If, I don't know if disadvantage is the right word, but gap on who can go on these trips and who can't. And I completely agree. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't do anything until I was, I was paying for a master's program that would send me around the world. So I completely understand. I mean, I still remember. Um, I knew so many people. They're like, "I'm going on a gap year." I'm like, "What do you mean you're going on a gap year?" <laughs> right. Like I've been on my own since I was 18. Like my parents were very much like we did everything to support you. Now you're on your own. So I've been working since like the moment I turned 16. And so I couldn't afford to do any of these trips or anything. So I I definitely agree that there is this big, or or even just a time thing as well. Um, I'm sure being a touring musician, like what are the odds of you getting away long enough to be able to support yourself, to be able to go on these trips. And then if a family is involved, like how can you afford to take your family across the world to some, whatever destination it might be. Um, so there is this big gap because I mean, from experience, like some of the most moving things and some of the, even one of my uh, master's project was researching people's um, empathy and how they grew while traveling abroad. And it, it's, I mean, the results are there. Like you just gain so much empathy from actually going to these places versus just seeing them on a TV. But that is, so then that just does mean that there is this difference on who can experience it and who can't. Um, so I've been personally ex- like exploring this as well. Like how many different ways can we get people involved? And um, pretty soon I have an episode coming out, which this might be really cool. Um, with one of the um, founders and the executive director of this uh, nonprofit called the Wildlife Protection Solutions, and what they do is they ha- deploy um, like technology and cameras around the world um, to help find poachers and other things like that. And, and in the meantime, while you're like looking for the bad guys, you also get to see all the really cool wildlife that's in this area. And they need volunteers to watch the cameras and see, um, what's going on so like that's a really cool immersive way to possibly get involved and all you have to do is volunteer time like that doesn't cost anything and that directly that directly contributes to conservation because they have caught they have caught poachers and so and then what they do is then they um radio whoever the park ranger is or wherever that camera is located and like hey there's something going on at camera five you might want to deploy a team um, and I know that their volunteers have caught bad guys. I know that they themselves um have caught bad guys. So um I mean that right there alone, like and then you feel a part of this bigger thing, like even though I can't, I can't afford right now to go see that rhino on the ground, like you know, in its country, I can still protect it. I can still be a part of that. I can look at these cameras and see what it's like to be there. Um so that's one way of uh, really good volunteering. I mean, there are volunteerism is becoming a big industry now, you know, people are waiting longer to have families settle down, um, and just need to get away from their jobs. And so a a volunteerism, like meaningful travel, in other words. Um, so that is becoming a big industry that, and it's, it's awesome because a lot of these nonprofits around the world, they need help. And they don't have the funds to hire full-time people to do all of the things that they need. So they rely heavily on volunteers to come and help with whatever it might be. It might be uh, collecting, you know, going down to Costa Rica and collecting the very specific leaves that the, that the sloths, that the rescue center need. Um, it's rebuilding habitat. It's, it's all of these things um, that, I mean, some of them, the, it, it might be you could get a stipend for um, maybe the, uh, tour itself is free. You just need to get yourself there. So it's, it's really just doing a whole bunch of research online. Um, maybe even if it's like a certain animal that you really love, what are the top organizations that are doing anything with them? And do they have any opportunity? If like, all I can give you is my time. Um, what will you take for my time? And, it's very rare that an organization will be like i'm sorry we can't take your free time away from you right, you know what right, i mean right, like, yeah. <laughs>
1: Makes sense. <laughs> that's yeah. The
0: one, yeah that's the one thing they have as well um so yeah so i hope as the world becomes more and more connected um as tourism and people just aren't scared you know just aren't as scared to travel to a lot of these places Cause so many places have such a bad reputation in the U S for absolutely no reason. I go there and I'm just like, why are people scared of this place? I don't, I don't freaking understand. I'm like, I'm a small white girl and it's still like, I'm not scared <laughs> at all. Right. Like, I don't understand. Um, yeah. So hopefully just as the world becomes more and more connected, um, we'll see what the travel landscape is post COVID. I mean, a lot of the airlines were hit, So hopefully this will just show them how valuable the travelers are. And I know there's crazy deals going on right now for anybody who can travel and who is comfortable traveling. Now is the time to go because the prices are stupid. All of the hotels need people. They need to have heads in their beds. Um, They need people on these planes. So if anybody can, if you have like $1,000, I mean, right now, $1,000 could pretty much get you most places around the world, which is amazing to say. I know that that's not a small amount of money. I know oh, no, that totally, because... but
1: compared to what it normally is, you're absolutely but right.
0: Like, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I did have to travel once during quarantine, like take a flight, and um, I was super careful about how I did it and had rows all around me empty. And but you're right, like I I, I had to fly down to Dallas, and I I think it cost like eighty some bucks, and I kind of booked it not last minute, but like close to last minute, which is usually very expensive, and um. And yeah, it was, it was nothing. It was, it was absolutely nothing. And there was a part of me that was like, Ooh, let's take advantage of this and go everywhere. And then there was a part of me that was like global pandemic. Let's (laughs) let's not be that guy, but yeah, no, you're right. And the rates are there.
0: Exactly. So, um, yeah, I just think that also too, um, I've come to find over the years that stuff is not going to make you happy. Travel and experiences are what make you happy. So an idea for anybody listening is what do you have to sell? What do you have that's been in your house for a year or two that is never, you're never going to use again? Um, Facebook marketplace. I mean, get rid of this stuff. I've gotten rid of so much stuff. Um, also too, just, just being creative, being entrepreneurial, like you do Instacart now, um, like that is super popular. That is an easy way to get extra money in your pocket. I mean, you know, Uber and Lyft has been around for a long time, but more of those business models are becoming more of a thing. Um, if you have any sort of talent, put a dollar sign on it, like put a dollar sign to your services, like get you. There's other ways that I'm starting to find during COVID to make money, which is pretty cool. Like, cause I was always just like a W2, nine to five type job person. And I was like, wow, it's actually, if you just get a little creative, there's a lot of ways that you can make money nowadays. So um, yeah, being resourceful, make it a goal, you know, set a goal of when you want to travel to what destination and then make it happen. Like set the goal and then put a plan in place to make that trip happen. Um whether or not it's next year or three years from now, um whatever that might be, so yeah, I think it's I've kind of gained a no excuse mentality, and it's it's quite rewarding to look at life that way. so yeah, if, if there's anywhere you want to go put it put a day in the calendar and be like, I am going to India in March of twenty twenty three and I'm gonna figure out how to get there, so yeah. yeah.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, very cool. And so then that brings us to rewildology. So we've talked about it a couple of times, but, uh, first of all, where did you come up with this podcast name?
0: Yes. So actually that was the hardest part about the podcast was fair, coming fair. up with the name. Um, and cause I'm the worst at naming things. I've never been good at naming things. Like even growing up as a little girl, I never named my stuffed animals. Like I Hate naming stuff. I've never named <laughs> anything. I didn't name my cars. So, how that name came up is so like the final straw that got me to get over my imposter syndrome and really pursue rewaterology is I saw David Attenborough's latest documentary, like I think it's like Life on Planet Earth or or something like that. Um, and I bawled like a freaking baby through the whole thing, and. I was so upset and I'm not an emotional person. Like I never cry. Like, it's pretty ridiculous. I should probably cry more than I do. And I, <laughs> and I was watching this documentary and I was bawling my eyes out and I looked over at my husband and I said, what the F am I doing? And the next day I got a hold of my boss. I said, Hey, I'm going down to part-time. I'm going to pursue this podcast. And um, I'm going to build it for real. And so at the time, I still didn't have a name for what this podcast was that I was building. Um, it had gone through a couple iterations, a couple different ideas, and then I was on a I was on a flight. I think back, I, I went back to see family. I needed to go see family in Ohio, and I downloaded the that same documentary of David Attenborough's on on my phone. And I was watching it on the way back. And but I was watching it with the intention to be inspired for a name and it manifested itself. So that's that's so that's so what rewild. So the, the word rewild really stuck with me. He said it and I was like rewild. So then I went to the business generator name website and I plugged in rewild. And I was like, how many different things can I possibly think of for that? Because at first it was going to be um, wildology. But that's apparently a dog food name. Oh, okay. So I was like, okay, well, can't do that. So, because I want SEO, never want SEO, but when you search for it, it's going to be the only thing that exists. So I just, so I, I knew I wanted the word rewild. And then I went through like probably about a week or two of different ways of using that word. Um, and then that is when I was like, okay, rewildology. I was like, I'm a biologist rewildologist that just makes sense so (laughs) so so that's how it came to be and then of course I looked up everywhere I was like okay it's not you can't google it it doesn't exist it tries to like did you mean wildology? did you mean this um it was nowhere on Instagram it was nowhere in like a podcast directory it was a trademarked word so I was like okay well that's it that's the name
1: um So that's where it came from. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. That's funny, and yeah, I, I know that you you you've you mentioned being bad at naming things, and uh, I remember the conversation we had the other day when you said that you want to have two kids someday, but they'll just be named boy and girl. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dumb joke. No, but seriously, that's that's really cool. And um, and so you're going for more of a long form conversational podcast. I've I've been listening, and I enjoy it. We've actually had a couple of uh, mutual guests already, which is pretty cool. Yes. I love how small this world is. Um, how are you feeling about it all? so far?
0: Uh, It's been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And the reason why, and I've just, anybody listening, I I really want to drive this point home is nobody can take my podcast away from me. Nobody. So I had put for my, my last job, I put so much into it and it was taken to taken away from me just like that it was it was gone it was it was gone it was just one afternoon i was taken into a conference room and i was told i just lost my job and so everything that i had built at that time which was quite a significant amount was just ta- it was just gone like i couldn't even access my files when i left like i couldn't get into anything that i had done the contacts that i made i had no access to any of them um but through this like i get I get to do whatever I want. Nobody can tell me what to do. Um, it's like the the type of episodes I want, the guests I want to have on. Um, <laughs> we cuss a lot. I was like, okay, so this is another thing about the show that um, that's very different is I wanted to paint a real picture of the conservation field, having been in it for so long. I was like, it's an insanely emotionally draining field. Um, it's insanely rewarding though, but it, it does take a very big toll on you. I was like, um, we're all borderline alcoholics. Um, I drink a lot and I know most people I know drink a lot. Um, we have insanely dirty minds. We joke a lot, you know, like I said, we curse. So that is the picture that I wanted to bring towards, you know, this podcast. So the conversations are very, I call it like a happy hour. It's like if you have a coffee date with a friend that just happens to really love wildlife or, um, happy hour if it's like later in the afternoon then we normally have have a glass of wine or something as we're chatting and it's just very open and honest and we get deep we get so deep in each episode um normally like something like really personal is brought up in a whole bunch of them just by naturally where the conversation goes and so it really paints an authentic picture of these people and what they've experienced what they've gone through um So yeah, it's been so much fun. It's been so rewarding. And just knowing that I'm getting their stories out there in the world and continuing to do that, you know, as I, as I travel the world and I meet more people and I make more connections and just people I have met over the years, you know, bringing their stories to everybody else. And inspiring everybody else, too.
1: (laughs) I love that you and I both started travel podcasts about animal conservation, although they are different ones, but at a time when we can't travel. And lost yeah, their jobs and it can't thyrotic? do. It. Yeah, thank God for Zoom and for the occasional ability to to meet with with kind of close people, you know. But uh, yes. yeah, that's really funny because like literally, if you, I mean, I know you've listened to 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 some of Rossari, and like the intro is literally like, and when I'm on tour, I will go to these zoos and talk to people, and I literally haven't been on tour since I launched the podcast. Um, I do have some dates. I do have some potential dates. Finally, I'm so excited. I got some yesterday. We'll see what happens. But uh, I have my fingers, toes, and. Everything else crossed. But um Me
0: too. Yeah,
1: hopefully we hopefully we get that rolling again. But uh that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying the show. I think it's it's different. I think um I think our podcasts complement each other well without um I think so too. Over like without being the same thing, which is cool and which is always, you know, the concern. Um yeah. but I think even the they're episodes where different. we've had the same guests, they're very different episodes, um mm-hmm. which I think is a lot of fun. And, and very cool yeah
0: I guess also some of the inspiration for mine is so I love podcasts I love I personally am attracted to like the longer form podcast so like I mean everybody's knows of Joe Rogan I don't know if how many people have listened to him but I love his podcast um I don't have the I don't know endurance yet to do a four-hour episode that just sounds super draining like he does every single week multiple yeah. times a week um but just that longer form I think is really fun. Um, so so that's kind of the inspiration of where it came from and um, doesn't require near as much editing or production, especially when you're the only person doing it, as you understand. Oh, yeah. So um, I didn't want to do a whole bunch of cutting and like adding and yeah.
1: Is there uh, any like, I don't know, conservation organization or anyone that you'd like to give a shout out to or anything like that?
0: Um, so I think the one that just makes the most sense for me to give a big shout out to is, uh, someone that you've had on your guest as well. So Dave Johnson of the yes. Katie Addison Conservation Fund. I work very closely with him. We are super excited here very soon. We're getting ready to launch a Tiger Trot 5k. So we're hoping to raise 5k, like 5k for 5k, um, uh, for all of their Nepal partners Um, Because, of course, conservation has been hit super, super hard. It's one thing for me to be disappointed to not travel the world. It's another thing when that is your lifeline, especially to get research equipment. So, um, yeah, so I absolutely love Dave um, and just how much he's done for me. Um, I absolutely love working with him. Um, Yeah, he's like my episode two guest and I don't remember remember the number of that he was on yours, but um, the KACF or Katie Addison Conservation Fund. Everybody look them up. Dave is the nicest person on this planet. It's impossible not to love him. And so I will give a shout out to him. Any nice. day yeah,
1: Dave is the best. Uh, Katie and Conservation Fund is amazing. Dave actually sent me um, copies of the books that he has written for miles and, and you know, signed them all and everything. And uh, yeah, that was just awesome. really cool. I was excited to to give them to him. And yeah, no, just an amazing organization and an amazing dude. And uh, your episode with him gets, like you said, pretty, pretty deep. Yeah, uh, it, it gets it, steep. It, yeah, I was I was surprised, um, in a very pleasant way. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so so I won't good. say I'm why, so kidding. that everyone <laughs> listening can go and download that now. Um, but yeah, if, I if, won't tell if the secrets either. Yes, yeah, but if you're a Rasafari safari <laughs> fan, and you've especially if you've listened to Dave's episode, go check out the the Rewildology uh, podcast with Dave as your intro to to this podcast. Because um, yeah, that's a good one. It's really it's a good episode, and it's it's someone you know, and you'll get to hear the the difference in perspective that um that Brooke and I bring to our podcasts uh which I think is really cool mm-hmm.
0: so complimentary of each other this yeah. is why this is awesome this is why I reached out to you I'm like I know oh we have the same mission and we're doing it in different ways let's collaborate absolutely <laughs> like, join forces arm in arm let's link together and and just uh make the world better and and everything
1: I love it I love it I love it I love it um, it's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Ron safari Poop Story.
0: Okay, my poop story. Poop story. This is when I knew that I was a professional zookeeper. So when I was in Asia Quest and, you know, you become a profile. Professional at cleaning any sort of barn and, you know, watering down. And obviously, pachyderms, they create a lot of poop. And there's this one drain at the bottom of the stall that always got clogs. And I worked up the courage and I put my arm all the way down <laughs> in the drain and pulled out all of the poop that was in there. And i was like i've done it i am officially a zookeeper because i have put my hand in a nasty freaking drain (laughs) that is completely filled with poop and i've pulled it all out and then i went and told like all the full-time zookeeping and they're just like yes (laughs) you've done it like you have reached it so so that is my my claim to fame Is the moment I became a professional zookeeper because I stuck my ungloved hand down a drain full of poop.
1: Love it. it. (laughs) Amazing. Nice job. Nice job. (laughs) Oh man. Well, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much.
0: Yes. Thank you for having me on. Yes. Yes. (laughs)
1: Well, as you can tell, that was a lot of fun for me and for Brooke and hopefully for all of you guys as well. Uh, Having two people who are talkers and interviewers and podcast hosts on one episode makes for a heck of a long episode, but uh, I really enjoyed it and I I think y'all probably did as well. Like I said, if you're ready for even more time with the two of us, make sure you go over and subscribe to Rewildology and check out her latest episode featuring yours truly, John Rossi, host of the Safari podcast, as her guest this week. Uh, you can also go back and check out her episodes with Dave Johnson and Johnny Payne, and also, you know, the episodes with people that you haven't heard on my show, because they're pretty cool, too. And, of course, it's at Rewildology on Instagram and Facebook, and all the cool places you're already following me, so make sure that you give Brooke a follow there. Oh, and by the way... I have started a Rossafari Pod TikTok. Somebody already took Rossafari, so it's at Rossafari Pod. But if seeing animal videos is your thing, I've started putting some up, and uh, it's kind of fun. It's kind of a weird app, but uh, I'm having fun with it. So, uh, yeah, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. Okay, here come those styderk. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossifari, on the web at rossifari.com, or email me directly at RossafariPod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.